We're in 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for this passage. And Lord, we pray that you would use it to grow our hope in you and the hope of spreading that hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we titled uh, this um, talk today, How to Share Your Faith When the World is Shaking. And I wonder, when we're reading through that passage, whether there might have been a verse that's just jumped out at you. Just maybe uh, it was that part of verse 15 where Peter writes, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. You know, what an incredible line for the world in 2020. There's preparation in it. And I'm always prepared when I leave home. I've left it down there, in fact, but my mask is down there. I mean, I don't know if you like me. I've got masks in multiple pockets usually when I leave the home, just in case I need to dart into Sainsbury's to pick up something. We're always prepared. And then a reason. We love reasons, don't we? I mean, we, we have a look and see on BBC News that Donald Trump has left hospital after, was it two days? Um, and suddenly our mind is worrying about the reasons for his departure early. You know, was it due to the election or, you know, what is the reason for this? But then we come to this third big word, which is hope. And this, I think, is an area, as Matthew showed us in our prayers, where our world is really lacking at the moment, this area of hope. The BBC has reported on mental health studies which show that depression amongst adults in our population has doubled since the beginning of lockdown, from about 10% of the adult population to 20% of the population. And in fact, when the Mental Health Foundation did studies on young adults, so that age group, which is 18 to 24, they discovered that 32%, uh, that's almost a third, admitted to feeling hopeless. Wow, we find out that when the world shakes, as it's done in 2020, the widespread results of feelings of depression and hopelessness. And I'm aware that this isn't something just out there, because we've discovered it in here as well, amongst our number. There have been shocks amongst us as a church when people have lost their jobs and been furloughed 
and suffered the emotional strain of isolation. But as Christians, we have an arsenal to use against hopelessness. And the Apostle Peter in his letter wants you to know that even though you don't have a vaccine for COVID, you do have one for the results of living in a COVID world. You have a vaccine to, to fight against hopelessness. And it's one which you can freely distribute to your friends and family and everyone who you come into contact with. And as Christians, we can either sit on our supply or we can get out there and start distributing. And it will involve risk. In fact, faith always involves risk. And in his letter, Peter is pretty honest about that. So we're going to have a look at this passage today, and we're going to use three headings. The first one is the diagnosis. The second is the vaccine. And the third is, and you, because you and I, we fit into the story, and we fit into this letter that Peter has written. So if you have that Bible open, open on the phone, um, that would be really helpful. We're still in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. So here's number one, the diagnosis. Let's have a look at verse 14. He says, even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. In our country, as Christians, we can find ourselves woefully in the minority and woeful about being in the minority. There's a feeling that our nation has dramatically changed in the last century to the point where the last Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, declared publicly that Britain is no longer a Christian nation. We can feel that living openly for Christ in years gone by, or maybe in the biblical times that Peter was writing to, was well and good, but it's a different story now. I wonder if you've felt that way in the past. But you see, it's easy to overlook the reality that Peter was writing into, into this letter. Suffering at that stage in the first century AD went hand in hand with being a Christian. Christians were seen as a little sect of Judaism, which in itself, in fact, was just a minor influence in the Roman Empire and merely tolerated by the pagan Romans. The, the Romans had no worldview to encourage them to look seriously into Jesus' claims. And therefore, being a Christ follower in that time could get you into serious trouble. And so the suffering of verse 14 that Peter was writing about was a real possibility. Christians like Stephen, friend of Peter's, had already been stoned for their death, sorry, for their faith in Jesus. And many more after this letter would be killed for their faith in Jesus. Peter, in fact, had experienced the fear at Jesus' trial, when he was challenged about Jesus, whether he knew Jesus, and he had denied him three times. But then Peter had also known the joy of throwing off all fear at Pentecost, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit and publicly proclaiming Christ. And this is just a few weeks later. 
And so therefore, Peter writes in his letter, don't fear their threats. Don't be afraid. Instead, with many people around you and against you, be willing to give a reason for the hope that you have. And you see, when you live differently to everyone else, when it's obvious that you've got a hope that is different to those around you or is lacking in those around you, people will ask you about it. And then you need to know how to reply. So I wonder what you would say if someone at work said to you something like, you know, why are you so full of hope and joy when it feels like the world is just crashing around us and we're struggling in this COVID nightmare? Where does your hope come from? What would you say to them? Are you prepared? And it might, in fact, help us if we understand the people who we're going to answer before we answer that question. Uh, the moral philosopher Alistair McIntyre points up that life is made up of a series of small daily events which are all held together by a story, by a life story. And our life stories have their beginnings, they have their present that we're living at the moment, and they have a future that we're expecting to walk into. And the events in themselves that we walk through day by day are meaningless without the story. For example, an event of someone handing a rose to you on the 14th of February is meaningless unless you understand the story of St. Valentine. And then unless you understand the story of the person who's handing you the rose, and unless you understand your own story and how all those stories fit together. It's these stories, it's these narratives that make all the difference. And as Christians, as those who follow Jesus, we have the joy of fitting into God's story and therefore God gives us meaning. He gives our lives meaning. McIntyre perceptibly points out that when people lose their coherence or intelligibility of the world around them, they lose all meaning to those events of daily life. Haven't you found that when people have been deprived of their jobs, when they've been deprived of being able to see family and friends, when they don't yet know what a future for them looks like, their story is damaged and therefore they lose direction and the small daily events lose meaning and hope is lost. To me, it would appear that that is exactly uh, what has happened to those young adults, those 18s to 24s uh, in 2020. They had a coherent story of who they were. They studied so that they could advance, so that they could pick up jobs, so that they could live a certain lifestyle. And then suddenly the train came off the rails and they found themselves derailed when they lost their jobs and future prospects. And that's about the most traumatic thing that could have happened to them. But, and this is the big but, this is the hope, we have a vaccine. So here it is, the vaccine. Have a look at verse 15. 
Peter says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Hope is not an abstract attribute like optimism. Hope needs to be rooted in an object and it needs to be future orientated. A child hopes for that box of Lego that they might get on their birthday. A fiance hopes to get married. The barrister hopes to make silk. Hope that doesn't have a future is no hope at all. This is the hope that the Christian refers to. It looks back to the cross in verse 18, and then it looks forward to the resurrection. Our hope isn't that Jesus suffered on the cross. That's an historical event. Our hope is future orientated. It's that he suffered and died to bring us to God in the resurrection of the dead. So also note that our hope isn't in a theory and it isn't in a theology. It's in a person, a relational person. It's in Jesus. Verse 18, Peter says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's what happened in the past. So that, so that uh, sorry, to bring you to God. That's the future that looks towards the resurrection. And therefore, our hope is living as well, as Peter wrote in the first chapter of his letter. He says, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, that's chapter one, verse three. So here's the good news. We can offer our friends a living hope with a future and one that can never be taken away by COVID or any other type of suffering. In fact, as Peter alludes to in verse 14, suffering and blessing aren't mutually exclusive. Even in your suffering, you're blessed. So where does this leave you? And this takes us to the and you section. How do we prepare ourselves to share this kind of hope with those around us? But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, is how Peter puts it at the beginning of verse 15. We're to spend each time, each, sorry, time each day uh, focused on the Lord. And this might be in the Bible, in prayer, and in worship. And I certainly find uh, that over the years when I was working in Oxford, um, the Lord took something that he had spoken to me in the morning, whether it was just a little verse from the Bible, or a snippet from a sermon, and he used it in a conversation later. I would end up just discussing it naturally with people I came into contact with. And as we talk to people about our hope, we don't do it in a rigid way. He says in verse 16 and 17, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. You see, there's a way to share Christ, which is just simple Bible bashing monologue. Peter would say to us, don't do that. But there's a possibility instead that we might share Christ in a gentle and respectful way, 
And that's what he's calling us to do, keeping a clear conscience, he says. We share while we ask questions of the other. We show interest in the other person. We have a two-way conversation, which is easy to return to. And we don't burn bridges. When my wife, Mary Jane, was studying apologetics, we had an easy way in during those wedding suppers, which seemed to come every weekend at that particular point. Uh, people would always ask, what is apologetics? And we would say something like, it's answering the difficult questions of the Christian faith, which we all have. I'm, and I'm sure you have questions too. And that little hook statement would generate, oh, yes, I do have questions. And suddenly a dialogue would start, which is two-way, uh, where we could hear their questions and start interacting with them. And what's the worst that can happen? Well, we may suffer loss. We may lose a friend. But even if we do suffer loss, it's further evidence of our love and commitment for Christ and for our friends who we're willing to suffer for. And in fact, I think gospel sharing probably requires a bit of risk and pain. It's a bit like childbearing, but at the result, that what it produces is new life and joy and living hope that Peter speaks about. But then we might also ask, what is the best that can happen? And the best that can happen is that people around us are born into this living hope. And in fact, I've witnessed quite a bit of that recently. People getting to the point of declaring faith in Jesus. And I think the greatest encouragement that we can have as Christians is seeing people come to that living hope in Jesus around us and God using us to get them to that place. It's a bit like watching a friend falling in love. And you think, that's how my marriage used to be right at the beginning. That's what I want again. I want that love and joy again. 18 years ago, a much younger Guy Axelson uh, with a bit more hair uh, flew across from South Africa uh, to a British boarding school. And I felt absolutely uh, exhausted and harrowed at this point, having had left South Africa um, on New Year's morning with all the beach parties going on, all my friends were having su fun, fun, uh, sorry, summer fun, and uh, here I was flying into midwinter into cold Britain. And my stopover just happened to be in Madrid, and feeling so harrowed, I took out my Bible notes to see what is prepared for the 1st of January 2003, and this is what I read in the very first line. If Jesus means the world to you, are you telling the world about him? If Jesus means the world to you, are you telling the world about him? Yes, please, is how I reacted. That's exactly what I needed to be reminded of. I wasn't going on a little jolly for a year. I was going with a purpose. Life wasn't going to be easy, but I hadn't gone in for the easy life. Troubles are promised to the follower of Jesus. But as Rupert told us last week, even through those troubles, we can worship the Lord and praise him with boldness. So what about you? 
Well, I think there are two possible ways forward here. It might be that you are serious about sharing Jesus with the world. And, uh, and if, you aren't, if you are serious about sharing Jesus with the world, I bet that he wants to help you. You see, Jesus is in that kind of business. Jesus came into the world to reconcile us to God, to make friendship possible between us and the Father. So all we need to do is ask him. And I found this crazy thing that every time in the morning, I say to Jesus, Jesus, I need your help to share you with someone. Would you help me to share you just with one person today? He somehow engineers a conversation that heads towards Jesus and I find myself sharing him with someone. So there's the challenge. If you're serious about sharing Jesus with someone, why don't you just ask him each morning, Jesus, help me to share you with someone today. Alternatively, it might be that you're further back than that. In fact, you might not be serious or sure about Jesus at all. It might be that you know historically that Jesus died on the cross, which no historian would disagree with. And maybe you know the evidence for the resurrection, but you're still not convinced that Jesus is God. And so I want to give you a similar suggestion. Why don't you pray and say, God, if you are real, if you are out there, please reveal yourself to me. And if you do that, here's my advice, that you open uh, one of the gospels, one of the accounts of Jesus' life and, and read it through for yourself. You might try Mark's gospel and Peter, who we're reading today, in fact, uh, was um, created the, well, provided the content for a lot of what Mark wrote in his gospel. It's the shortest gospel, the shortest account of Jesus' life. Why don't you try reading that? And then also I suggest that you tell a Christian friend, maybe, um, that you're going to investigate Jesus for yourself in the hope that he might be who he claimed to be. So that's the diagnosis, that's the vaccine, and that's you. Should we stand to pray since we're going to sing after this?